come for Alora Dannon. You dare to challenge me? You're not warriors. You're pigs. This is In The Cut, and hello again, it's me, Jesse. Today we have another episode that's a bit of a special one for me. Uh, for our first three-person episode, we were able to fly my regular co-host, Aaron, up here to Portland, and we invited uh, Josh Millard to my place to watch Willow and hang out for a couple hours afterward to chat about it. In addition to being a moderator of Metafilter, our favorite website in the world, uh, Josh is kind of a dork renaissance man responsible for a whole slew of like wonderful and ridiculous things that you might have stumbled across uh it does the webcomic larp trek he made the bizarre automated garfield dialogue remixer garkov which is something i particularly love did a site called mapstalgia that collects user submitted video game levels that are drawn from memory that's another one i really personally love and have happily submitted to uh and think stank which is kind of a meta crazy idea website that collects ideas that are too crazy to exist and then sometimes that end up existing anyways. Anyways, he didn't ask me to plug anything, but I like all his stuff so damn much, so here I am anyways. Uh, you can see whatever he's up to now at joshmillard.com. Like always, I want to drop a brief warning here. In every episode of our podcast, we talk about the entire movie and spoilers are gonna abound. You're best off joining us after you've recently watched or rewatched the movie. And for all our shows, I try to collect links to the different ways you can watch the movie. If you go to inthecut.org, you can see all that. Also, like our Beasts of the Southern Wild episode, this one is a bit more of a live type of format. The three of us have all just watched the movie and just sat down in my apartment and hit record. So like the Beasts episode, I want to let you know the sound quality isn't quite up to our already kind of meager standard, but uh, the conversation is so fun, I don't think it matters too much. All right, no further delay. Let's hit it. This is In the Cut. This is another special episode. We've just watched a movie together, and we're coming fresh off of it. I have Aaron here visiting Portland. Hello. And an even more special guest. More special than <laughs> Aaron. More special than Aaron. <laughs> we have Josh Millard. We've just watched Willow. None of us had seen it for at least 10 years, I think. I can safely say. Yeah, I, I want to say it was been, I, it's been 20. I think yeah. we could say probably nine years old when that movie came out. I'm going to... Okay. I was... 88, is that right? 88, yeah. yeah. I didn't see it in the theater. I was a little too young, I think, to see it in the theater, so I watched it. But I had it on VHS growing up, so I did see it when I was young. I thought that was a great movie, you guys. I thought it totally held up for me. <laughs> I didn't ex- sort of didn't expect it to. I agree. It, it, it was actually pretty solid. And I, I will say, I actually did kind of expect it to. Okay. I feel like... And it, it wasn't a confident prediction because uh, <laughs> things I I thought were great twenty years ago have a real <laughs> mixed track record. But uh, 
But I remember always kind of liking the movie, you know. And and you know, I, I want to say honestly, one of the things that one of the things that I specifically felt like I remembered was being unimpressed by the effects. Hmm. Like I thought, I thought I remembered the the blue screening specifically for the brownies being terrible. Yeah. Um, and now it's not impossible that they were terrible and this is like uh, Lucas doing what George Lucas does, which mm. is uh, revisiting effects or something, but maybe I just was much pickier as a kid uh, for some reason. I, I mean, I was definitely this time through, there was a lot of effects I actually loved and um, felt really amazing, but yeah, the blue screen, so much of the blue screening and the basic compositing was just I mean, just incredibly bad. Like, I mean, just like, how did they... The depth of field was just off. Mm. Oh, sure. So many of those. And maybe, I was going to say, maybe watching it on VHS, it didn't come through so much, but... You'd think it would but, crush and kind of forgive more with the with the worse resolution. Yeah, but, I mean, awful. Like, but, like, like, there was some amazingly like, awful blue screen. Like your experience right. this evening, that was the feeling you had with it? Um, yeah. And I, I didn't. I definitely didn't remember that. Um, huh. Uh, but so many of the other special effects, I thought uh, there were there were a few moments that uh, they were doing things that you know would would be done done in CG now that um, just held up amazingly well. I mean, a few. I mean, really small moments, but uh, give me a for example. Um, the the two I really loved were. Uh, uh, when her hand turned to stone, mm-hmm. which was I think done was all rotoscoping. Yeah, it must have been just. Uh, but I, th- I mean, I think it was using some actual painting on an actual texture, maybe from a photo uh, in rotoscoping. And uh, the stop motion moment when they uh, brought like a brazier to life, and it was walking around, and there was just an incredible amount of lighting uh, going on and camera movement mm. in this really smooth uh, stop motion. I had the same recollection of the blue screen technique being really distracting and, and difficult to swallow. And I think what we just saw was like a, I think a pretty recent Blu-ray transfer. And I think they might have snuck in and cleaned up a lot of the, because one, the, I mean the big thing is the contrast differential between the thing that's superimposed mm-hmm. and the other. Yeah. It's like the one just seems way overlit, and it's because of how they expose the film or something. Uh, and also like edge lit with that kind of blue halo and stuff. Yeah, and I the halo is what they I can like really easily, so. I think, kind of cheats, like sneak in and fix that just by yeah. fixing color at, when they do the transfer. So and I wonder, it could be that it was a little better this time. Well, it, 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 it was still, it was still, it was, it was still obviously um, like late eighties blue screening. It was pre Jurassic Park blue screening. But I, I feel like there. I mean, even at that time, there was so much that really works, and you don't necessarily notice. And it, it was also the compositing. There was a, a few moments like when the when the brownies are riding on something where mm-hmm. you definitely see the juddering of motion. Yeah, um, at one point they were running up a log and it was like the guy was doing like, it was almost like that Wes Craven shot from uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street with a girl running along and she's running but she's not getting anywhere except for it was a sideways shot of a brownie running up a log and it wasn't supposed to be a dream sequence. I was like, ah, oh, it's a little bit... Yeah, you didn't really nail that. It was pretty ambitious to move the superimposed things along with the judder of what's happening on the camera, Mm -hmm. though. I mean, I don't know how much that had been really been attempted before. And I thought it, I thought it was better than I would have expected it to be for the time. But yeah, that's a real like breaking the the suspension of disbelief when it happens. So it's interesting that we were both really primed for it to be terrible, 
and thus weren't so bothered by mm. it. I wonder if it's really because we were primed for it. Because like, I was really expecting to like see the first close-up of the brownies and be like, oh yeah, that's that shit. And then I was like, oh, no, actually, it's, it's pretty okay. I remember seeing the first close-up of the brownies and being like, oh, it's these fucking guys who don't shut up. <laughs> and <laughs> Kevin Pollack. Kevin Pollack. <laughs> see, my, my memory of that is, you know, is I, okay I think I... first like a sailor? Yes, okay, I insist. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think you've just watched or listened to our first episode, Suck My Dick, I'm Rebel. <laughs> 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 he mostly only said he looked like a dick as far as I got into it. So. But actually, my memory of watching that movie in the theater at night, I love those brownies. The fucking comic relief brownies, I love. They were little, like they were even, there were little people in that movie, and then there were littler people. There was also piglets, but man, there were some little people. And he had a mouse skin hat, and my god, that shit was adorable. Yep. Um, yeah, the they were absolutely my favorite. The mouse skin, like, thing did wonders for the scale, I thought. Oh, yeah. That was a great oh, that, cover idea. That was the best detail <laughs> in the movie. And, uh, oh, mouse skin hat. Yeah, I love those guys. Uh, this time, I mean, they were basically just doing that voice from the Holy Grail with the, the Frenchman <laughs> in the castle, right? Um, I don't remember it. Your now go away or I will taunt you that second time. <laughs> for, the, for the listeners, just for the listeners, I said I don't remember it and both these gentlemen looked at me and just like they were just ready to kill me. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like those guys and some of the other cast were like in one kind of movie or it was just real zany cartoon world. Like, including, I thought, Val Kilmer. And then other people, Val like Kilmer Warwick really Davis, felt, yeah, seemed like they were in a, like a fantasy and kind of spectacular and didn't take itself completely seriously, but at least like committed to the role in a way mm-hmm. that wasn't like a cartoon. I, 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 feel like, I feel like Kilmer was there. He was probably just actually taking direction. And I feel like, to some extent, like Ron Howard had watched Real <laughs> Genius recently. He's like, man, Val Kilmer's hilarious. Let's get him in this. <laughs> Cause like it felt like he, he sort of he did his part he played the the sort of like you know uh, reluctant uh, hero ish so like the Han Solo yeah, yeah very like, Han Solo like, yeah. I mean okay can we talk about this is a, the executive producer George Lucas right. Lucasfilm producing this this is why the effects were as good as we didn't and written them. and written, written by, by George Lucas, Lucas. yeah so so I mean there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of post Star Wars sensibility here a lot of I guess Indiana Jones uh, also there's a lot of it wanna... kind of often being exactly the same movie as it seems Star Wars. like there's a lot of times it's exactly the like same like when Martin Mad Mardigan was popular right <laughs> so Matt Mardigan standing down the, the Bav Morda's nasty army storming mm-hmm. into Tears Lean and uh, he's waving his sword around and hollering and then they all stop and run away and it's like yeah but it's because right. the creatures behind him yeah creatures behind him yeah, that felt like a very Han Solo moment but sort of mm. inverted from when Han Solo just chased down or the they show up at the figures. castle and everyone's frozen in carbonite oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a fair, fair enough yeah that's kind of a thing uh, the, in the, the cantina scene at the beginning right when they they set, they're starting to set off on their adventure they go to the cantina yeah, I thought the I just wagon chase. The wagon chase was the fucking that's the speeders from Jedi, <laughs> like including including you know one guy bailing and the wagon flipping over. That was like that was the closest they could get to uh, speeders, right? Uh, with uh, sort of high fantasy medieval era technology. There's a lot of yeah. It felt like a lot of little. Yeah, I mean the daddy issues were mommy issues this time. But <laughs> here's the real important question. Mm. Is, 
Yeah, I remember the Willow Arcade game. I do. I don't. Oh, man. It was a uh, side-scrolling platformer. It, it was a really... Uh, with a lot of really interesting mechanics, it was one of the first kind of arc- arcade games that uh, had a real, like, currency and buying stuff, you know, Black Tiger, Black Tiger style. Mm, um, right. And, uh, and Black Tiger. I was like, I, 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 was, I really remembered the first half of the movie and not, not the last. And I realized, like, halfway through, that's just because I remembered the corresponding <laughs> scenes from one of the arcade games, but I never got that far. <laughs> right. Like, they, they had, like, the wagon chase scene, and they had the, the bit where you got to that the awesome... I remember the wagon chase, although I didn't get real far in the game, I don't think. Oh, uh, I, I got the main version later on. Oh, okay, yeah. And still didn't get very far, because it was definitely one of those games that was designed to let thought, you have the first level and then take I thought it was a real asshole game like that, um, it was my memory too, although... Like Robocop. Like, <laughs> Robocop, yeah, the, the, it really hands you the first level, well, then, and then yeah, it's just yeah, If you want to try down, and beat it, yeah. it's going to cost you ten bucks. See, I was familiar with the, the, the NES version of Willow, although I never actually owned it, or... I don't know if I've actually played it, I think wow. I've read... Very attentively, the Nintendo Power like yeah. eight page spread on it. <laughs> Wait, was that that wasn't? It was. It was still a side scroller. No, no, no. Or, it was actually sort of a Zelda ish thing. Uh, like kind of kind of Willow wandering around, stabbing stuff and casting spells and stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> apparently, it was actually kind of a decent game. But I uh, again, I don't think I really spent time with it. Sure. I think I confuse it with the Super Nintendo uh, Lord of the Rings. That, right. That's the other like impossible to ignore. Combination oh, yeah. is the Hobbit story, like you were saying. Oh, God, it's, yeah, it's when they're hiding, like, like the Christ dogs the are coming Hobbit early story. on, and they all hide, and mm-hmm. like like it's those wargs and their right. their masters instead of uh, instead yeah, but of the, the, the wargs had rat tails. Well, whatever. They are, whatever. <laughs> so I liked the the costumes on the dogs. I love when someone dresses up a dog, <laughs> but not as much as when someone dresses up a pig. Right. I love that this movie had lots of pigs in it. <laughs> Because pigs are adorable. If you're a pig fan, this this oh, out yeah. babes babe. <laughs> yeah. They had a pig hooked up to a plow because little people can't have a cow. They need to use a pig. They had a baby pig. You think you could just adorable. get a cow and then plow really fast. Right. You would think, but Everything's that would not be smaller in that adorable. part of the world, maybe. Yes. Um, they had men turning into pigs in Cersei fashion. Um you know, one thing I did not remember, and I was actually surprised at the beginning of the film, was that Bav Morta wasn't like a total uggo throughout the film. She was just like, you know, a severe-looking evil queen sort of lady, but she looked fine until that end sequence, and then right. she was all tapping into the powers of the I, universe and I, evil and shit. Th- I'm not sure, but I, I think there was a kind of gradual, subtle progression of the aging makeup. Hmm. Was um, there? I felt like even when, even when she was turning into the pig, she still looked pretty, like... Reasonably complected. Yeah, I, th- I think that it was, uh, you know, maybe not a linear progression, they but kind of uh, just it really hit at the, the end. Maybe a power curve. Um, <laughs> we watched the long tail first. <laughs> right. But but I do I do think that she was a. I mean, the actress. I, I don't know who played her. Was fairly young, and hmm. I I do think there was some old age makeup put on as it went. But I'm I'm actually not not a hundred percent sure. Um, we we we'd need to go to the we'd need to go to the tape to, to review <laughs> and get to some key uh, checkpoints. But uh, I also want to know what sort of marsupial that was. <laughs> <laughs> it may have been a wombat. Whatever uh, Finn Rizal was. Uh, I guess what's the other kind of little kangaroo? <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I don't know. This, this is now a call-in show. If you know, right. yeah. call us right now live. 555-WILLOW. It, Aaron, you were so happy when she was a goat. You could not stop laughing. Every time the goat was on the screen, you were just being scared. Because you were just in the Mr. Red me, voice. He's so happy. Oh. It's like when she was the wombat, she had a normal human voice. And then she's a magpie. Was that a magpie or some sort of Corvid? And she's, yeah, some, something in Corvid. Um, she's got a regular human voice, but as soon as she's a goat. Hey, Wilbur. <laughs> You've got to destroy the evil powers. That's also when she calls him an idiot, though. Mm-hmm. Which, which, that was a line I remembered before <laughs> we got into this. Like, there are pieces of the film that I remembered clearly, and much larger pieces that only came back to me as we saw them happen. But I very distinctly remembered Raziel saying to Willow, Willow, you <laughs> idiot! <laughs> and I kind of remembered in what I guess in retrospect is a goatish voice, but I didn't connect it to the goat. So every time there was a transformation, I was waiting for the right. idiot line. And it kept not coming, and then finally, pay off with the goat. <laughs> the trolls were pretty good. Uh, I liked I liked the, uh, uh, I think again, rotoscoping uh, troll crawl animation when we first see yeah. them. Uh, when Will is crossing the bridge and the troll's directly underneath yeah, him, like yeah. some weird shadow thing. Yeah. That, I'll that never forget shot. that shot. Is yeah. that scarier than the that. actual troll oh, yeah. practical makeup when it shows up? So it's kind of an di- uh, annoying disjoint thing. Right. Like, the actual troll's like, wow, that's a interesting monkey suit you got there. <laughs> right. Whereas yeah. the, the thing, yeah, the when they were crawling along, it was like, fuck. Yeah, when they're hinting dead. at it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really well-conceived shot. That, um, like you were saying, with the you remember that line so incredibly distinctly. There's a lot of just moments in the movie that I could have just drawn from memory perfectly because they're just so imprinted. It's uh, it's a really special movie that way. Like I think it's so carefully and artfully made and it's targeted so aggressively towards this rel- like pretty narrow age group that when it, when you're in that group, you're just like you get the full blast of how amazing the movie is. Yeah. So many of the sets were what I really unbelievable um, sets. The, uh, even like they, there's not a lot of it, but just the exterior of the inn. Hmm. I found. I mean, it's not a, it's not a major thing or a big thing, but it just. I, I felt like it kind of captured what the world was. I, I, hmm. I don't think there was a lot of explicitly saying, you know, this is the uh, the culture that we're emulating for this, or but right. but but I and and there's a lot of uh, back and forth on. When maybe this is, but uh, seeing some of those sets, I'm like 11th century Celtic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they were definitely they were definitely doing a nice job of like without being showy about it. They just sort of like made sets that sort of felt like okay, we're actually trying to we're trying to nail down this uh, sort of low tech, a little bit squalor civilization before technology got very far. Yeah, I I feel like it was a a pretty consistent world. Without, I mean, I guess it's it's pretty easy to do if you don't show lots of, a lot of parts of the world or have to tie them together. But but maybe not. Maybe it's a little harder if you don't have anything explicit um, to get the feel right. Can I say? And and I, I hate to be a jerk like this in case you know she's grown up and is listening now, as most people in Hollywood will be to this. Of course, uh, but we're very uh, popular. Yes. Willow 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 uh, had two kids, and one of them was 
a much better actor than the other, and the uh, the the one who was a not very good actor was the daughter. She was pretty terrible. I mean, she, she was, was adorable as a in a button, sort of bad, well, yeah. yeah, I was just thinking about she was also as talented her. as a button. <laughs> like, uh, the, like what kind of casting pools you must have? I mean, because because you're going Venn diagrams here, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Child actors are never going to be great, but if you're going for child actors only people, from the available yeah. little people, right? In the, um, um, I mean, there's probably like three people auditioning yeah. for that role, and she was fine. I mean, all right. she had to do was like say her lines and 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 be cute and be crying during the one scene with a dog right. attacking the village, but uh, but still, yeah. every time she said a line, it would the movie wouldn't have lost anything if they just had yeah. cut out her lines <laughs> yeah. and just had her be there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So fuck you, little girl. Sorry. I guess that's really my main takeaway. Is that yeah. Bring your whole thing down. What the hell? You know what brought it down for me a little bit was Val Kilmer. Anytime he was called upon to be really athletic, he just was so like klutzy. <laughs> Like every time, it, and they keep doing it to him. They make him like jump through a little window or oh, climb into God, a little window, thing. and he's just like, like or just kind of like juddery. Like obviously he hates it. He doesn't want to do that. But he well, really got down that sword flipping. Like, yeah, the sword yeah, flipping. He he loved. And practice. that was pretty meaningful. Right. That, that was one thing as a kid. I think I was really oh, yeah. damned impressed by. That. I don't I think like, yeah. There's any one of our generation who didn't like at some point stand there with a broom or whatever. Right. <laughs> Trying to get that down. Yeah, I remember this is this is this is so tangential to the actual film content or anything. But I remember being in uh, I think Looking Glass Books uh, when I was uh, probably nine or ten. Like the film had come out, uh, and I was in this bookstore with my dad, and I was looking through the magazine racks, and I was not even familiar with the concept of like fandom or trade magazines or anything. And I saw some science fiction fantasy magazine, the cover of which had some oil painting of Val Kilmer as Mad Mardigan mm. in somebody's like crystal ball. Uh, and for some reason this blew my mind. I was like, holy <laughs> shit, that's Mad Mardigan. He's from Willow, but there's painting of him on this magazine cover. It's not a picture, it's not a photo, it's a painting. Oh, what's going on? Like, for some reason, this was amazing to me. And, and like the uh, fact that someone painted it meant they had to it had to have been seeing it and like yeah, it brought it I, into I don't the real even, world. I don't even know what my thought process was. Yeah. I was just like, I was so I was blown <laughs> away by this, and I'll never forget Mad Mardigan on the cover of whatever the fuck that fantasy magazine was. <laughs> I'll never forget whatever that was. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, I didn't. I don't know where the title. Right, right, right. Someone, someone was like, "Oh yeah, that was that was the August thing." See, see, I think he was really well cast for the look, but it. I, I really wanted someone more athletic to be doing. It. I mean, like he's he's obviously like really like like handsome in that specific way, like super clean faced, sharp angular features, and he can be kind of be like adorable, weird. Klutzy, I don't know, but well, okay, so but what I really wanted him to, like the other thing is like it wasn't that long ago that I rewatched the movie The Crow and with Brandon Lee and it's so heartbreaking to see like what a career in like action or like high like kinetic roles that man could have been because every moment he's on the screen it's clear that he's like incredibly athletic and he's oh, sure, acting yeah. with his whole body and it's like really beautiful to see and if he had been this guy it would have been the character which just would have been so so different just purely from the physical acting. Stand. Well, sure, but I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I agree that there's a problem. 
like in the context of this film. Yeah, I, that character could have been actually sort of kind of klutzy. Sure, yeah, like he's just a really showy swordsman, I, but he's not right. incredibly yeah, I feel like, like they, they could even cast like, someone who was like more <laughs> aggressively a schlub, and it still worked. Like sure. I feel, I feel like I feel like I was not disappointed watching Kilmer do his thing because like. There weren't any huge action moments for him. Like he did some flashy sword play stuff to show off mm-hmm. that he was in fact a great swordsman. But it's not like I mean he wasn't doing backflips. He didn't single handedly defeat an army or anything. Right. It was just like you know he was there. And when he he's was... swinging the sword, it's fine. It's just when he's moving or like transitioning or doing anything outside of that. It's, right. It felt distracting to me. But you're right that it it, it doesn't. He could be the character that is just like that. Um, you know what's really distracting to me is um, young Val Kilmer looks a whole lot like T.J. Miller. <laughs> it's, I don't know who I that is. Um, well, you recently sent me a T.J. Miller short film called uh, Successful Alcoholics. Oh, okay. And uh, T.J. Miller is just, you know, the funniest person alive. <laughs> I don't see it. Um, it's there. Val Kilmer's all built out of triangles, and T.J. Miller's yeah. all built out of ovals. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's all the weird mouth shapes. Okay. <laughs> and that, the, weird, the weird grins with the kind of <laughs> out there eyes. See, that, that's um, the thing that I'm trying to think about with his character, because on the one hand, his character's kind of goofy. Right. But then again, his character's got to do some goofy stuff. I mean, the love scene with Sorcia where he's under right. the, the powder, and he's like, oh, you are the moon and the, right. yeah, he's the sun and the stars and the night. He a lot of time in a dress with enormous face. Yeah, like, 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 like um, you could... It just would have been funnier if, if you he wasn't send, already a cartoon when that was happening. It, it, I don't know. Uh, okay, well, the thought experiment here. If you could... Send Viggo Mortensen mm-hmm. back in time twenty years to play that role. Yeah, would it have actually right. worked? Because he would have been much more convincing, I think, as sort of Aragornian badass on the badass side. But I mean, I, not to say that Viggo couldn't do comedy, but imagine right. Viggo straight faced as Aragorn, but in that movie, I don't think it would have worked the same way. I don't think it would have felt well, he like wouldn't, he, he it would have been Well, he couldn't have been Aragorn. He would have had to be yeah. like... I, I think yeah. that's a bad example because Viggo Morganson can do a goofy-ass... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's a tricky example. But, but the straight-facedness, I guess, is what I'm saying. Sure. I feel like no, part I of it feels like Val Kimmer was definitely being goofy, but at the same time, I think goofy was... Right. ...in the script. You know, it's like... It, it was. The part was written goofy. Yeah. He he should like he was supposed to be a character with some metal and some sensitivity, but at the same time he was kind of clowning. Yeah, I don't. Know, I mean, maybe maybe the outliers are the ones who take who play it more straight than everyone else, <laughs> like Warwick Davis. Like maybe it's it's less that I thought he was, was pretty funny in it too, though. I mean, like like, like I think it was totally funny, and he had like, to part have, of it was that he, he had to have a lot straight. of straight face moments yeah. where like he yeah, especially like in the in the final sequence, he had to like really sort of. Yeah, be dramatic and be be like, but uh, but yeah, I, I I guess you know honestly, I don't think I had quite appreciated the self aware comedy in the film as much as a kid. Hmm. Like just watching this now, like the entire time through, everybody in this film is kind of aware they're making a romp. Like the only character hmm. who's never unserious really uh, is like Bav Morda. Because she's the villain, whatever. And then, like, Sorsha? Like, did Sorsha ever really have a, a wry line? The, the closest I felt like she had to do, had to, like, a comic beat was, like, when she then kissed Mardigan during the melee at the. Uh, right. I, I think in the seduction like a, scene, she might have had a few, like, 
Oh, I'm shocked. Well, yeah, she there. had a couple of reaction shots, but even uh, then she was a straight man there. Like, yeah. like she never, I don't feel like she ever really had a, a comic line in the movie. Like she right. was always reacting to someone else's comedy. Yeah, it's it, you, did, you definitely get the sense that all the characters know what kind of movie they're in. Yeah. <laughs> this child is special. This child must be taken beyond the boundaries of our village, all the way across the Great River to the Daikini Crossroads. Well, who do that? It seems only fair that the man to take this baby to the crossroads be the very man who plucked it out of the river. I nominate Willow Offgood. Yeah! I will consult the bones. The bones tell me nothing. Do you have any love for this child? Yes. Yes, I do. The bones have spoken. The um, just on the, to change to change gears, the some of the vistas and and like just out outdoor shot. I mean, in, in addition to a lot of the set pieces and the buildings they made, including the unbelievably like dark uh, castle at the end and some of the other. Works. Oh yeah, that's but what like, I wanted all to the expanse look at. Was where it was beautiful filmed. outdoor stuff. Yeah, I don't know where it was um, filmed. And I mean, some of it had to be matte paintings, but they were really seamless, and a lot of it obviously wasn't. Uh, uh, there were so many good matte paintings that made the really bad matte paintings stand out so bad. <laughs> I gotta say, I was, I, was, I was sort of absorbed enough for a lot of the film that I didn't actually notice any bad matte paintings. That's not to say they weren't there. Oh, I was right. just, I was engaged. The first time you see the castle, that was, huh. there was an amazing oh, lack uh, of death. Tears Lane. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That one. Um, yeah. That was that was a painting. Uh, <laughs> but even then, I was like, oh, you know what it was? Is like every time I feel like there was one of those establishing shots, mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit, I remember this. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and I was so busy taking out a list of stuff in my head yeah. that I was, I was like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> right. No, it's just a go- incredibly lush, gorgeous movie. Like just. Let's uh, assume they shot it in New Zealand. Yeah. Just Peter Jackson I mean, right. reached back in time. And said, no, no, just do it over here. Just as like an outdoor rock, like adventure, mm-hmm. going out and like braving the you know elements of the world, and they go through these really lush like forest areas, and then the snow areas were really visually distinctive, and then the you know kind of the plains that they end up on, it's all really really just gorgeous. Uh, so really good work with the scene setting and cinematography and stuff. It's all really nicely done. I wish they treated the cinematography a tiny bit different in the beginning when they are in Willow's town. Because the camera is never at eye level to everybody in the town. It's always looking down. Like, it's always <laughs> shooting from six feet, which I, yeah, it works to make you remind you that they're not tall people, but it takes you out of it in the sense that you're not, like, at eye level with all the people you're kind of... Yeah, you don't, you don't really sort of... Yeah, you don't really start in the village, which right. is kind of an interesting thing, because, like, yeah, it feels like it sort of makes sense... Especially for like a, a classic like Campbellian reluctant mm-hmm. hero tale, start at the level of just the right, daily and then you zoom out and out and out and put yeah. the show more and more mm-hmm. of the world and the different worlds. Which is, I mean, what they did do that. Um, Peter Jackson did so well. I mean, right. in the the first Lord of the Rings right. did a great job of starting in the Shire and mm-hmm. and building this this great yeah. world that was small scale but just felt you know, right. huge and awesomely made, and then. 
go yeah. out from there. And I think they did enough work to 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 make it work well enough for in Willow. I just wish they had just started the camera tiny bit. Well, and you know, <laughs> and, and this may be. Uh, I I, I, I kind of wonder if like this is kind of like just the difference twenty years make because I mean I feel like Willow is not a film that was weird and shitty about using little people like you know there's like there is a definite gap from like you know the Wizard of Oz to Willow in terms of like the degree right. to which they present mm-hmm. uh, the actors in a way that's not sort of like oh, yeah. oh man right, yeah. right. and um, from Willow to every movie right now right. Yeah. <laughs> it's right well, it's yeah, really well, well yeah there's yeah, definitely real, plenty of shitty I think Willow's the fucking high watermark I mean this is a sore spot for me because I think little people are treated so fucking terribly in movies it's like honestly like modern like I don't know yeah. We got I Game of Thrones. Know. Yeah. Or Game of Thrones is great. Yeah. Um, every awesome movie that that awesome man is in. But no, yeah, it's, I feel like this, and it's a it's a weird cultural blind spot where people who are otherwise extremely sensitive to, to this type of issue are still like doing weird giggly mini me jokes all the time, and it's just uh, grating. I mean, we could certainly look at uh, Warwick Davis's career. <laughs> That's uh, interesting. Have you watched much of uh, Life's Too Short? I watched the um, show he did with Ricky Gervais. Most of the, I think I may have even watched. Was it was just one season? It's short. Right? Yeah, it's not as long. Oh, <laughs> um, we're complicit. Yes, I know. Mm, right. Oh. <laughs> but uh, the stereotypes are coming from inside of, the house. Yeah. I mean, he was fantastic at it. The thing is, uh, he is an unbelievably good physical comedian. Mm -hmm. And, like, really, like, uh, on a level that you don't see much. And, you know, obviously as someone who really, like, is in love with, like, the days of Keaton and and Chaplin and and Harold Lloyd and stuff, I really, really love that. And so having him be that isn't inherently terrible. They just treat it terribly in the show in a way that they don't have to. They can still have him have like like amazing pratfalls and weird physical comedy that only he could do and not have it be exploitative in the way that I think the show kind of is. Yeah, I mean that's a difficult one to... Yeah, I mean right. that, there's a whole whether, you know, meta humor argument around uh, Ricky Gervais huge asshole or clever right. meta comedian. Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's, it, but but he's he's an amazing, and I, and I wish that he had a little bit more more chance to to show off his physicality because I think he's really athletic in the way that I was saying it's annoying me that that Val Kilmer isn't in this mm-hmm. movie. There's you know there's a, a couple moments where he like swings and mounts a horse or does some other kind of gets knocked over in a, like a really unusual way and he does this great fall. Uh, the shot that I'll ne- that I never forgot and that I was waiting for when I was watching the movie is right when they lose the baby and he comes kind of staggering out of the castle building oh, across yeah. the rubbish and he just kind of loses his balance and falls to the ground and it's beautiful. It's like really amazing yeah, physical that was, acting. That yeah. was one of the shots that I remembered. Like I remembered like specifically. There's weird little things in that movie. Like I. I don't tend to engage on a sort of like getting verklempt level very often with movies. You know, and part of it is I don't sit around watching a whole lot of stuff that's like primarily you know, like art string right, right. melodrama or whatever. But but even then, like I feel like I feel like I'm a little bit uh, a little bit stony. Like you know, it's notable to me when there's something that sort of catches me a little mm-hmm. bit. But I remember like that shot, and I remember Willow coming back to his village at the end. Like mm. you know, everybody he's coming back, and he's like. Nobody, it, it is kind of a funny thing you were saying, Aaron, like, you know, it's like, uh, I feel like you were sort of commenting on, uh, now everybody likes Willow. Yeah. It's like, they were like, yeah, no, yeah, go off and do whatever, I guess. Have a good time. Right. Fuck it, Willow, Fuck you. we like burgle cut because right. we're assholes, you know. 
Uh, and then he comes back writing in, and everybody's like, "Ed, whoa!" And you know, and it's they, the end of the movie. They thought yeah, it was. This is how the rest of the movie It's kind of like the rest of them are watching the movie. Right? Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because I mean, you could assume they, they thought he was dead, so it's great that he came back. So maybe yeah. they're excited at that point because, like, yeah, it's the most exciting thing that's happened all week. But right. but then but but then you know, it's like everybody's happy, and then his wife, she sees him, and she's whoa, and she's starting to. It's like, oh my god, she's so happy that he's home. Yeah, and they cross cut between the two of them running towards yeah, each other, and it goes on like, longer than it should. Yeah, but it just totally earned and it doesn't yeah, bother me that yeah. it goes on as long I'm as it like, does oh, I've, I've, I haven't been as happy for a reunited couple yeah. in, in a while it, it turns out and I think both of them just play it really like in, like honestly like they just yeah. you, you believe it you yeah. believe that they're it's, totally it's, in love it and just made me a little bit uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. interesting at the end of the movie that I mean just the fact that he just gives up the baby and the emotional core for him throughout the movie has been his connection with the kid <laughs> Well, yeah, but I think that's just treated without it. I think it's I I think I think it's okay. I mean, I I see your point, but at the same time, I I feel like I feel like it's fair to treat it like his sense of stewardship was the thing. Like, like he, I'm sure if things had been uneventful and the baby had just like been their new adoptive baby, he would have raised her and loved her and everything. But I think at the same time, what was motivating was mostly a care to make sure that she was in good hands. And so at the end of the movie, she is in good hands. Like she's got a she's got a the good works looking over her and um, sources her new adoptive mom. And, and, uh, but it's uh, interesting. Because I think it's, he's he, throughout the movie. He seems willing to give the baby up if he trusts where it's right. going. I think that it is established repeatedly. It's, it's interesting because I mean, you, there's very rarely a movie where the male hero's main thing is his parenting prowess. Huh. Yeah. And, huh. I, and I think that was, like, I mean, kind of the heart of... I mean, the you know, every time that Willow is established as a character is a really good character, it's because he's a great dad, or, yeah. you know, he's a dad, and uh, all his emotional motivation comes from that. And uh, Yeah. Well, he's sort of an anti-deadbeat character. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, yeah. we are repeatedly reminded that he is good partly by virtue of his... Willingness to do the right thing, and mm-hmm. the right thing is determined in terms of the welfare of this baby. So. Right, right. And it, it's, I, I think that's a really rare thing, is that parenthood defining a uh, male character in, yeah. in, in, in that kind of way. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, even, like, the, 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 the most recent thing I can think of that sort of even touches on that is, like, children of men, but, like, that wasn't even, like, a parenthood thing. He was just sort of, like, custodian for the baby yeah. as this, like, And the there's, de- man there's definitely, of, like, the... You hurt my daughter. I'm gonna kill you, movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. It's like, 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 right. If you like, lay one finger, <laughs> I have a very specific uh, skill set. Never like. I really think oh, you should get her milk, and here's how you have to change her, and don't right. give her the black root, you asshole. Right. That's not how you raise a kid. <laughs> Taken three definitely needs to store star 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 Warwick Davis uh, as the father of a now twenty year old. <laughs> Uh, that's a good point that's, and, that, and that's really beautiful I think that's a and he, would, he would send a carrier pigeon message with the, the I have a very specific skill set that I to hunt you down that whole opening scene would take like seven weeks back and forth to establish I've never seen Taken so I never get the joke I haven't either I just line. saw that trailer a bunch. Uh, I know the lines from that movie everybody else saw it and does stand up about it so I know like after right. movie because of like that stuff but uh Oh, but going back to uh, oh, geez, I had such a great segue and I lost it now. I but, totally uh, stepped on it. Basically, I want to I want to talk about Mad Mardigan being totally in love with Eric or Elric. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? The the red haired oh. guy who maybe was the guy from from Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters the EPA. <laughs> yeah. Which Ghostbusters man? That, that film was made at a time where you could credibly make the EPA executive <laughs> the villain. It was like. 
from right. the Environmental Protection Agency. Right. Like, you're an asshole. Right, and then they all light cigarettes and smoke them throughout the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I feel like that was the same guy, but he has such a different voice. Right. Like, in Ghostbusters, if it is the same guy, he was like, I'm a smarmy See, son of a bitch. I confused that guy with, um, um, oh, God. I haven't been able to remember a name all day. I've been pretty bad today. Um, just rolls and <laughs> ro- rolls and characters. Um, let's just work around it. Well, uh, Ferris Bueller's principal. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, our yeah. teacher. Um, yeah, you know the oh, the newspaper man from Deadwood. Yeah, um, he's fantastic. But yeah, different. Yeah, guy, they're, but they're both. They're, sort they're, of they have the same hair, hair color and severe redhead dudes. You're right that the red bearded guy and our, you know, our sword wielding hero do kind of share a couple long glances yeah, with each other. Yeah, well, that's what it is. We were talking about the, the shot that held a little too long, and yeah. there were a few shots that held a little too long with the two of those guys. With those huh? guys, yeah, they were reunited. You know what I was thinking when the next sequence is he's got the girl on the front of the horse and they're riding off, and then she runs off and he has to tackle her and he's on top of her and he's like staring at her and there's like a kiss moment that could happen. In my mind, I, I just see him thinking like if only she had a fucking beard I could just totally get into this well she's got a lot of hair she can wrap it around <laughs> I, uh, um, yeah no it's like I mean <laughs> but there's also there's kind of not a reason for that character to be in the well, movie he's, if that's not he, a character he's an exposition movie. he gives us any background on Martin because otherwise right. we're, we we're on the world that there him. is another kingdom somewhere yeah and that there's there's a history because like there's otherwise... a couple things he does he does that he he's the guy who and this happens of course in Lord of the Rings too he's the one who brings in the gigantic like horse mounted army to save the day at the last possible moment and he because the girl can't die in Mad Morgan's mm-hmm. arms he dies in his arms so that he can so that he can go off and kill this skull face guy yeah you know I gotta say skull face guy I did not remember that the guy under the mask was so unimpressive looking <laughs> right, like yeah. that's a badass fucking skull mask it's, you got there yeah, that's and then he talks the it off he's like hey well I'm not I'm I'm general weird old uncle yeah he, he's, it just didn't work too tight. No, I don't want you to get away. Why? Because I'm your sun, your moon, your starlit sky. Get your hair out of my face or I'll chop it off. Did I really... Did I really say those things last night in your tent? You said you loved me. I don't remember that. You lied to me. No, I... I just wasn't myself last night. I suppose my power enchanted you and you were helpless against it. Sort of. Then what? Went away. Went away? I dwell in darkness without you and it went away? Okay, so Sorsha, this is a. I have a couple other, like, little things here. One is that I, I think she was, like,. So I saw this when I was probably nine is probably mm-hmm. when it came out. And I think that was, that was around when I was starting to really actually notice that, like, women existed mm-hmm. in a, hmm, I feel funny sort of way. And I, I remember thinking she was super cute. Uh, but I also feel like I remember seeing, and this maybe ties over to the Mad Mardigan art on that fantasy magazine thing. <laughs> I feel like there was some association between, like, her and, like, maybe Red Sonia. But I don't know if it was anything other than, like, you know, red-haired, you know, white ladies in fantasy settings. Who's Red Sonia? Uh, uh, oh, she's like she's like the uh, Conan Conan oh, okay. uh, counterpart. Okay, uh, always running around with the red hair and like right. the chain link bikini armor, which is the <laughs> stupidest thing ever. But 
whatever. <laughs> yeah. But I remember reading a, a, a what if issue of like Marvel Comics or whatever that had what if Wolverine met Conan the Barbarian. Mm. What happened was like during the big Dark Phoenix climax on the moon <laughs> in X Men. Uh, what if Wolverine uh, got sent by the Watchers back through time to the time of Conan the Barbarian <laughs> and Wolverine ended up having a couple fights with Conan uh, the first one of which Conan won handily because Wolverine was trying to be too technical in his fighting mm. and so he was using a samurai training and Conan uses instincts to like stab the hell out of Wolverine right. and then Wolverine like you know Almost died, but didn't die because he's Wolverine. So he, right. instead, he just went feral. Right. Uh, but then he recovered. And then he managed to cut off Conan the Barbarian's like arm. And Conan, being a barbarian, was savvy and like cauterized the wound, and then leapt into the portal that Wolverine came through in the first place. And so Conan ended up back in the future on the moon where Jean Grey was Dark Phoenix and Cyclops was trying to keep her from like exploding and destroying the universe. Right. Uh, and then Conan thought that she thought that Jean Grey was his beloved Red Sonia, and so he oh. killed Cyclops and broke the psychic link that Cyclops well, was using to like. keep Dark Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And, and so Dark Phoenix exploded and killed everything in the future. But back in the past, Wolverine became the new Conan and oh. one Red Sonia being. Uh, but anyway, so Sorcia, for whatever reason... So maybe that'll happen in Willow, too? Maybe, that's what I'm hoping. When they get around to making it, they'll just tie that all in. I think it'll be a, it'll be a rip-roarer of a I'd tale. Say, I just read that Val Kilmer in February put on Twitter, says Willow 2, Willow 2 is happening. Really? Who knows if really? it's true. Who knows if it's oh, true, man. but Val oh, Kilmer yeah. put it on his Twitter. I would love it with... Oh, man. Just said it 30 years in the... man, Warwick has aged a lot better than Val. <laughs> well, it's the difference between, you know, uh, 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 um, Daikini and whatever the hell, Elwin? <laughs> Daikini get a little bloody. <laughs> they, they, they I couldn't... Get... I never quite got how you were supposed to pronounce their race. El- Elwin? Elwin? El- Elwin? Elwin? Yeah. Well, Elwin and the Grand Aldwin? Or were they all Aldwins and he was the Grand Aldwin? Or, don't, I don't know. Don't look at me. I this can't is a Colin even... show. If you yeah. know how to pronounce these things, call us in right now and let us know. Find us on Twitter. Uh, oh, man. Guys, can you tell me what the fuck happened in the climax of that movie? Because they're fighting the evil witch and they're fighting her, and the sorceress, and then, like... Like, like, how did that scene end? Yeah. Like, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Did because, God uh, kill her? Did okay. God kill her? I think I think happenstance killed her. Um, she just happened they, they, to be raising the wand they, yeah, in the no, lightning no, yeah. area? I, I, I think I... I, I no, no, this but then was the red sauce? I interpret this movie as no, fundamentally no, godless. And okay. yeah, she, she's, she's, I, I have so, the actual answer. Okay, well, hold on for a second. I want to know why it's godless. We'll, we'll first do comparative of all, because here. I thought God killed her. I thought that no, was no. what happened. Here's what I think happened. What <laughs> happened is she was taken down by her own hubris, essentially. Sure. She's she's like, Willow, give me the baby. He's like, No, I'm a powerful sorcerer. She's like, Ha ha ha, no, you're not. And right. he's like, Yes, I am. I'll make her disappear to a place where you never get at her. And she's like, No, you can't do that. Right. She's There's really no place where evil doesn't exist. Yeah, and then he's like, boom, pig disappeared trick, and the baby disappeared. She's like, no! 
and and this is important. Right. So I, she's summoned up the lightning, like there, or she timed for the storm. Oh, I think I'm we assuming, have actually the same. Uh, okay. So 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 I, either she planned meteorologically really well for a lightning storm, right. or she actually used some magic to summon up some lightning sure. for the spell. It needed to strike the altar and make the baby right. and disappear. But that, so she's she's upset that the pig has disappeared. And she's like, well, I can't fucking believe this little guy has like, got magic powers. And she's stumbling right. backwards. And the lightning thing, she's got the wand, the wand of whoever the hell, right. Sha- Sharna, uh, Shanana, the wand of Shanana. And she's she stumbles backwards and she knocks over the couple of bowls of, I guess, blood. Red liquid, anyway, that were on the okay. big altar, and cool. she's yeah, sort of got yeah, whatever it was, right. and it's she's holding the wand up, not intentionally, but just in the sort of a flailing way, right. and the lightning that she herself had tried to arrange chooses that moment to come on down, and it hits the wand, and the wand's power with the glowing and her being magical, and the lightning and the blood everywhere all combine into a nice soup of fuck you, lady, <laughs> and she just. Disapparates up into the the fucking atmosphere, and now she's just a cloud of badness out in the world. But so God kills her. No, 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 God. I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's God. I don't think it's. I think. Okay. I think this is a world of secular magic. Right. Okay. I think it's a world where magic exists as a sort of physical substrate. People in this. Yeah. No, I don't think so but, uh, either. It just seems um, like it. It seems like they fight yeah, her and fight her and fight her, and then she gets struck by lightning. I mean, they, you can argue that she gets killed by the God in the machine, but that's right. different. I, I, I right. Okay. Um, yes, Aaron. Aaron. <laughs> it was the god of the machine, but no, she was like, I'm uh, I'm starting the summoning spell for a, a terrible magic that will take the thing away to the the, the terrible thing, right. and uh, I'm so casting it this big. Into, the, into oblivion. Right. right. She's like, I'm casting a spell that will take someone away into oblivion. I'm right. casting it at that baby. Right. And then Willow was like, I'm using my sleight of hand to make the baby disappear. Right, and I get that. And then she's like, I, "There's no target for my magic," and so then the magic hit her. Uh, that ties it together very well. She, she, she was hoist by her own magical petard. Right. <laughs> Petards, Jesse. <laughs> Ho- sidebar: Hoisted by her own magical no, no, petard no. is the title of this episode. <laughs> I have no question <laughs> in my mind. Hoist, 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 hoist. It's the it's the irregular past participle of hoist. Okay, I'm sorry. It's very important because uh, I like arguing about that. No, okay, well, I'll make sure that's correct yes. when I title it. Okay. But earlier when, like, lightning has struck already. Oh, yeah, it's earlier, been a couple times. Earlier yeah, it's been a couple thing, of strikes. And she has had really, like, granular control over when it strikes. And it seemed like that time it was just random. Did she and have then granular the, control? And the blood thing, like, like, the blood, they, she knocked the blood over, and then there was red blood spirits happening, and I didn't understand, like, why that I was think it was anything. because of lightning strike, and I think the, the blood may have sort of gotten on her if she was standing in the blood. Well, it was, like, ghostly blood like before really, the lightning yeah. even struck. I, I think she just didn't have a target, and she was maybe. she got all confused in her magic... Uh, maybe the whole, the whole room was... Kind of I, I think definitely the big red swirls was the thing that she was gonna make happen to the baby happening to her. I, I like that explanation. I think right. that, I think that holds together well. Okay. We, we'd have to we'd have to go back to tape to review. I was pretty drunk yeah. by that point in the right. <laughs> So if you guys want to talk everywhere. about the part where they slid down on the shield, I was also kind of drunk that, for that, that part that, too. That was a that was a little that was a little gratuitous. I mean, not that it wasn't a fun scene, but it was kind of like. That was the they funnest just scene of, when I was there. That wasn't a better scene. Right. I remember they did a, a kid. jump. They went off the jump. And then, yeah. and then Matt Mardigan was in a snowball. I remember the snowball being a little bit more of a... Like, I thought there were more shots to that setup. Because like, right. what we actually saw tonight was he's, he's, he's sort of 
tumbling. Right. It's like, oof, oof, for like 10 seconds, and then they cut away, and then Willow ends up landing in the hut in the village at the bottom of the hill, and then we cut to Mad Mardigan rolling down the hill Here's, in there a 10-foot diameter See, snow Willow, Willow gets into the building, and then he starts dealing with the baby, and we forget about Mad Mardigan for a second. And then he just shows up like that? Yeah. I thought that really worked. I mean, it was probably the cartooniest thing in the thing, but it didn't even seem like it gratuitously was very cartoony to me. It was fine. I, I was remember having the intermediate shots in there been. also. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like, maybe, maybe he just fill him in as a kid, or maybe... I mean, I'd be really is this retransfer have some yeah. directors cut it? I don't know. There should it? be no difference in the edit, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, I think this is just stuff like, you know, we cultural cultural literacy in filmmaking has injected And there are, memories like, famous, like, d- deleted scenes that you can get, you know, okay. on a DVD or also, whatever, but I they mean, weren't put into this. I no. tried to roll down a hill and do that a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> like right after, I spent a winter in Michigan right after I watched this movie, and I had a sled, and I thought about those jumps, and, yeah. man, I just rolled down trying to make a snow burrito, and it just doesn't work. <laughs> A burrito just doesn't work. Pink. Keep the baby quiet. She needs to be changed. Not my skull. You'll never defeat us. Give up the baby! Shut up! What does Bevmore want with this baby anyway? She's a princess. We're taking him to Tara's Lean. Tara's Lean? Even if he could find it, Peck, she's right. You'd never get past the Nakmar army. There's an even bigger army at Tears Lean. We can just get there. Overall, though, I thought that the kind of ebbs and flows of like the action set pieces and then the adventuring, and then it would be back to swashbuckling a little bit, and then it would be adventuring, and then there would be a little moment. And I thought it was nice. I thought it, it, for, I mean, it didn't seem like a two hour movie. It felt like it, it kept its mm-hmm. forward motion throughout pretty nicely. I remember a lot more in the scene where the uh, brownie fell in love with a cat. Yeah. I remember. I yeah, think I, I, was, was I just thought that was hysterically funny. I think at the time. Oh, because I saw it was it. the funniest thing. I mean, it could be. It could know. be that we're remembering it being longer because we would like rewind it. <laughs> <laughs> and I had misremembered. You know, there's the big, the second to last big action set piece with the two-headed, you know, monster creature that comes out of the troll. I thought that that what was. What the fuck happened there? Is that just like Willow? Again, he blew being the spell. Bad at magic. It's totally. See, the thing is, when you bring in magic like that, you can just get away with that. Like he, he's obviously he's not saying spells quite right yet. And yeah. He's fucking it up, and he's when he tries to turn her from animal into person, he turns her from animal into different animal See, or whatever. You know, so then he's pointing. He tries to kill the troll, and instead he, turn, he yeah, says he turns one it into phrase, a apparently wrong. incredibly rapidly growing two-headed <laughs> dragon baby. But you know, part of the thing is like. I thought I always found that a little bit confusing as a kid, and I've, I was primed to like be confused by it all over again this time because right. his son, when Willow's getting ready to set off, clearly sets up the trolls, which is you know okay smart right. storytelling, but specifically sets up the notion that the trolls will turn you inside out, and then he casts a spell on the troll, mm. and the troll appears to turn itself inside out. So right. I'm thinking, oh okay, that troll has just trolled itself, and now it's. A lump of dead, horrible, inside-out flesh. Mm-hmm. And then it really grows a couple of hands, <laughs> and he kicks it in the water and turns it straight. And that that felt confusing because, like, I felt like, like I thought I knew what was going on, and then something completely different. Right, happened. right. Uh, that was stop motion with really good specularity, with really good lighting. <laughs> yeah, it looked, like it, it looked pretty uh, good. It looks yeah, really good. Again, so I thought that was going to look really like shit. Great. Um, 
gliding in stop motion. Um, I also... And speaking of which, the scene where he turns them from animal to animal mm-hmm. is, you know, something that is so easy to do right now. Like, right. I mean, I could yeah. do that, right, given a couple of days, I could, you know, you could make that scene. Like, right. I mean... But at the time, that that must but, that that had to be like a this is a Lucasfilm film. Yeah, you know? I mean, I was watching. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, there was certainly an amount of. I mean, there was rotoscoping and there was stop motion mm-hmm. and there was practical effects. Yeah, in a, a, like that scene was amazing. I yeah, mean, there that was, was a ton when you of think about and love put in that like fifteen second how, segment. I mean, when was Terminator Two? I mean, that that was like your first real good CG on screen morph. Yeah, it was like early nineties. I want to say this this definitely predates it and definitely by, was the first like time anyone had years, seen it probably. done like this. Yeah. Well, and also, also I mean, the also, only real morphing that happened in a movie before this that I'm aware of at all mm-hmm. was in Kroll, where it was really like drawn, like the in betweens were just drawn. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, I honestly couldn't tell what parts of that were rotoscoping and what yeah. parts of that were stop motion. And like when the peacock tail comes out, that's live action, and then right. they morph that back down. And, I think part uh, of and they, they do the timing so well, and yeah. just that it's, I mean, a, that it's scene, a real labor of love shot. That's a showcase shot for yeah. It. And it's funny because like I feel like five, ten years later, you're starting to see computer morphing, and there were a lot of films that were otherwise reasonably legitimate, like, you know, budget productions uh, that probably had really shitty computer-driven entirely morphing scenes, oh, but it was still it, new and, and entertaining, right. so people were like, oh, well, it did that morphing thing. Yeah, and right. now it would it just... Yeah. It. I remember when The Matrix came out, uh, I read an interview with, uh, you know, the visual effects guy on that, and he's just like, yeah, rule one... No fucking morphing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we want something that looks new, it looks good. Yeah. And yeah. that is just like every VXF guy right. at that point was like, Do you see a cheap morph? And it's just. Right. Oh, can I say, well, one other little Lucas thing, calling back to the this George Lucas was the ball thing. All those, all those soft edged wipes. There were a lot yeah, of yeah, I remember like yeah. a diagonal yeah. one that was just yeah. like like it was like exactly that, that total callback to the, like the uh, the Star Wars stuff that itself was calling back to the old <laughs> serials. Uh, and I don't did, did 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 he and Spielberg end up using that sort of wipe in in the Indiana Jones movies too? I don't remember. I don't, if they, there was I, I think there were so definitely those soft edge like. I mean, there were de- there were definitely things but, in that same spirit, but I didn't remember if they used those like actual screen. They ones. do, but they do. I think in in the Indiana Jones movies, they use them for major venue changes. Okay. And in this one, like there really needs to be a rule that you need ten or fifteen minutes between each one, because when you get one and then you have like someone do a one liner and then you have a tiny bit of blood, yeah. and then you do another one. Yeah, it's, just it's like, like you're watching this fucking iPhoto slideshow. Yeah, right. right <laughs> also, now. like they have to be used consistently because. If you don't use one for those same kind of scene changes, and right? Yeah, like all of a sudden one pop, you're like, hey, it's almost it's like Chekhov's wipe, you know, to, <laughs> to badly mix them. I was gonna say something about Chekhov's acorns earlier. <laughs> no, I feel like they use the acorns in the final cut of the film. I don't know if there was more in the script originally, but like twice. Does he use them twice? Once when he drops it, once when he's he trying one. to. And then I, I was concerned when he dropped one about. That he'd been carrying around these acorns all this time, and apparently the trigger is just like just this little bit of velocity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he'd been falling down a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, right. like, does it, it doesn't count unless 
if the velocity is still in your bag, I don't, I yeah, don't know. I don't know. He was, was, I think he was given three at the beginning, and we only saw two. Is that what you were saying? Well, I, he was given at least. I, I want to say it was like a handful. I want to right. say it was like five. But well, it honestly, could be they kept falling out of his pocket. They just we didn't maybe. see the scenes where they just fell out of his pocket every time he fell down. Maybe he knew he was in a survival horror horror film, and right. so he, he was being really conservative with his ammo. Uh, he was. He didn't want to waste one on Matt Mardigan in the scene where they all just wanted him to fucking have a torturous death because they didn't like it for some reason. Was Which scene are you talking about? When, when they found him in the, oh, in the crow's nest. In the crow's nest, like, dying of thirst, and they're all like, this is pretty funny. <laughs> this guy's dying of thirst. I, was I, fucking did, I didn't get that impression, really. I, like, I mean, wasn't I think, that a I guy think, in a cage just dying of thirst, and they're well, all I think like, he was well, like, I like they were standoffish, <laughs> really. He, well, he was a convicted murderer, for all they knew. I mean, I thought that was the impression. I was only confused why they didn't just, like, Move, you know, a hundred feet down yeah. the road to set up camp instead of setting it up like ten feet. Well, I'm not talking so much about the uh, the characters' reactions as the movie's treatment. Oh, sure. Well, yeah, yeah. That's it. I, yeah, I think I think I think the underlying sort of uh, thread of farce sort of explains yeah. that as much as anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's funnier to have them be in proximity and play off each other right. than not. So that's what's gonna happen. They needed to, but the, then the, the movie didn't bother to justify why they there's, were. There's always a weird thing where first and Intersects terrible torture and death. <laughs> I'm like, right. that's weird. But yeah, the acorns. There, there, there should have been at least one more acorn. I guess right. is my feeling. I guess. I mean, it's not like there was a scene where he needed yet another one and had an empty bag or something. Well, so it's not I like know. they cheated. But no, you're no, right. No, yeah, it's like no, no, they yeah. kind of like set. It felt a little they bit set like, five guns on the wall and only two of them went. Like, like, yeah. like he doesn't have any confidence in his own spellcasting ability. He doesn't have a wand to start out with. Like, this is literally the only magical thing he has with mm-hmm. besides his own faith of the heart. Right. Nothing's going to yeah. or break him. So, yeah, no, I felt a little bit... Uh... I, I do like that they never actually really... I mean, they kind, they kind of did him have him learning a little magic and being a little bit of a wizard. Mm-hmm. But really what he wanted was still, like... He just knew how to make a pig disappear. And yep. He, was using he just wanted to nail that trick. Yeah. He, he was just be... a good dad. Well, he just was a just nice a good dad. dad. He just yeah. wanted his kids to think he was cool. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of tropes, I've started counting the Wilhelm screams in that movie, and there was three <laughs> that I noticed. Oh, man. That's a fucking lot for one movie. You kept saying it. I kept now having heard them. Like Really? I, yeah. We'll go back after we. I would, I would like. I kept wanting to just get a get a rewind. We should insert period. them periodically throughout the, the podcast. Right, <laughs> the audience <laughs> provides their own in this podcast. <laughs> uh, let's have a brief pause for a two later be inserted Wilhelm scream. <laughs> That was a pretty good scream there. That's yeah, see, that's, like that. so Aaron, that's the scream I'm talking about. Okay. Do you recognize the it now? The Wilhelm scream. Right, yeah. of course. <laughs> More like the Willow scream. Oh! oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Are you the mother of that child? Yes, yes I am. Let me see it. No, don't let her. Ah! I gave you an order, woman! Oh, beautiful. And you're very strong. Thank you. You're no woman. Now, honey. Not a woman! Easy. Gentlemen. Not a woman! <laughs> Meet Lug. Ah! Okay, oh, here, 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 here's the thing. Okay, so Mad Martigan at one point, Willow trips across him again after a Lord of Dan has been kidnapped by the Brownies. And right. Everything comes back together, and Willow 
ends up stumbling literally in on him and some lady who presumably he just stooped. Right. Uh, and she's dressing him up as a woman so that her husband won't kill them both or right. whatever. Now, I think this is there's an interesting ambiguity in this scene uh, where shortly thereafter, when confronting the evil army dudes, uh, it is revealed to everybody that Mad Mardigan is not, in fact, a woman and the cousin of the lady he was stripping, but a man. Right. And the husband who had been convinced that this was actually a lady and had been basically just getting ready to have sex with her and her bizarre pillowy boobs, Mm -hmm. um, gets really upset. Now, what I want to know is, are we supposed to read this as he is upset that his wife was, in fact, in bed with this man, presumably? Or is he upset that he was making sexual advances to what he assumed was a woman? but was, in fact, a man. The way it's, played, the way it's true. The way it's played in the movie really, really makes me believe it's the latter. It, oh, I, I took it as the first. Really? See, I kind of read it as the first on this viewing, too, which I found heartening because huh. I feel like that's a much less problematic reading. Is that he's like, yeah. I'm well, angry that you were unfaithful. I mean, he's not meant to be a sympathetic um, character well, anyway, no, no, so it's okay correct. if we don't, it's the yeah, latter. And we don't yeah. have much to work with. But, but basically, gay panic joke, speaking of nice It really feels like, it feels like a gay panic joke to me. See, I didn't, I didn't get that vibe. I, I was I, kind I of watching it. it and expecting that vibe and didn't quite um, get it. Yeah, I think the real setup of the joke was um, he keeps saying it was a man. It was a man, not like right because he, the. I mean that le- leads to the either, subs, but it's the really subterfuge just, was uh, it was a lady. I mean it, right. It's set up in the very beginning that the reason for the subterfuge is to fool him because right. otherwise he'll be and upset. He realized he has been fooled right. and becomes yeah. upset. No, I mean the movie supports either reading. It just it mm-hmm. gave me the strong impression of the other, and and mm-hmm. partly it's because. He, when he storms in, he immediately forgets about her sleeping around, and he immediately wants to sleep around in front of her. And, and it just like the infidelity so, suddenly just doesn't right. seem like that big of an issue. And then, but the fact that he's about to fuck a guy seems like that's the issue. Yeah. And then Matt Mardigan wears a dress for another 20 minutes, and I really think that George Lucas has set up just so many childhood kinks at a lot of people. <laughs> you were saying, yeah, and you were saying uh, the, uh, later when he ends up wrestling Sorcerer to the ground. Yeah. And he's like he's been forced into loving her with the. There's a lot of there's a lot of things. <laughs> there's yeah, it, it, I, I kind of wonder. I mean, it's not all slave uh, layers. There's a there's a whole wide variety <laughs> and spectrum of things in George Lucas's weird little mind. I don't know. Maybe he's the genius. I mean, they play well on the screen, so maybe he just. Yeah. I mean, they don't have to be or that maybe, near to his heart necessarily. I, mean, I don't he think they necessarily come from him. I think he's. Uh, has this huge love for this like 40s and 50s serialized drama that I mm-hmm. think contains a huge amount of weird sexual, sexual undertones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, and you had like like comics and adventure writers who, to some extent, if they were good at what they did, that meant they get work, and it didn't really matter if they were also a, a little bit weird, like like, yeah, like Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman. Yeah, Wonder Woman. Exactly. <laughs> like you know. 
Like the, you guys the, both the, thought of that simultaneously, well, but I don't know just, the reference. Oh, a Wonder Woman, like the guy who drew Wonder Woman, he basically just wanted to draw a lady kept getting tied up. Right. You know, yeah. and, and the fact is he invented a you know contemporary superhero in the process, but mostly it was like, <laughs> oh yeah, okay, so here's what happens. She uh, she has to fight a villain and then uh, and then she gets tied up. <laughs> and uh, okay, I got another story. She uh, she has to rescue some orphans and then she gets tied up. You know, it's like it's kinda it's a really consistent theme, you know. Eventually it gets crazy when she ties someone else up. Ah! You know? and, and he was like kind of public as, as being in this kind of like poly bondage relationship back before that was a thing that you could do unless you provided children's entertainment I guess so yeah it's, it's, a, it's a whole thing you know or, or like and on the not so sexual side but like the same thing like Steve Ditko classic foundational comics artist who invented among other things a character the question Hmm. Um, who was a blank-faced sort of Randian superhero. Hmm. And he was like a huge objectivist. So like if you go into his early work, there's a whole bunch of this hardcore, like basically Ayn Rand comics <laughs> where, you know, he's like, A is A and justice is rationality sort of stuff. Like you, you can find these things like in the early, in the serials and in the, the early comics because like yeah, people were inventing the stuff. So you, whoever was doing it was doing it and you didn't have as much of the likelihood to have a little bit of pushback huh. from a crowded market was like well that's a little bit weird let's get right, Jim right. to do this instead you know right I mean you get to sneak whatever you want in when it's something that people are already not going to take seriously no matter yeah. how seriously you take it so exactly you can yeah, yeah, whatever you want. Young market so right yeah like uh, the horror movies of the 80s <laughs> so why why do, why do you think Willow <laughs> do you, have you guys seen the movie Willow I just want I just no, want to no, throw I, that into the conversation wait, wait, a little is, bit is that uh it starts out as a story of Moses and then turns into the story of Jesus. No, it starts with Jesus, goes to Moses. Goes to Moses. Then ends up with Frodo. <laughs> yeah, because of good Bad Morday's King Herod wanted to kill off all the uh, potential uh, right. Messiah children. Right, right. And then we get to Moses on the river. And yeah. then we get the hobbits hiding the behind the water. The redraft kept changing they... color. The what? The, when, when it's on the redraft. That uh, raft was pretty bullshit. It kept, it kept from going to be this weird green thing to actual, like, sort of dryish reeds. I never noticed. There was a lot of continuity errors on yeah. that baby on a raft. That was, that was a pretty forced scene, that whole thing. That, yeah. Also, yeah, would you just, like, you straight up a, do a baby on are a you raft saying, of reeds? Are you saying you're not a willow literalist? <laughs> <sighs> the question I was going to go to, though, was... Um, why isn't this movie like kind of better remembered and more a little like I mean it's it's notorious to us because I think we were right in the target of the age thing, but it seems like it's a it's a really high budget like spectacular adventure like world romping adventure. Yeah, it's a good cast from a a, a, a solid director, solid right. executive producer, and there's nothing in it that really seems like oh this is what really torpedoes the movie. I think, I think I, it's I a little inconsistent. I, I get the impression it had bad luck. Hmm. Because, like, I mean, yeah, it's not perfect, you're right. It, it's got inconsistencies, but nothing, like you say, that would, like, there's nothing that's like, oh, that's right, that's yeah. why. Right, right. But there's, not, there's nothing, there's not that big scene. I mean, when, I mean, I think the thing is, we were talking earlier about the climactic scene of the movie, and the whole discussion was, hey, what happened there anyway? <laughs> right. That's the kind of thing that makes well, a movie not a huge... Sort, sort of, I mean, that happens in a lot of movies where they, it's just like, whoop. Ghost in the Machine, it's all taken care of type of thing yeah, happens. But, but and, and the part that baffled me really was just 10 seconds of the movie. I mean, the fight makes sense, and the fight could have ended anyway. Yeah, the outcome of the fight so makes but sense. But I don't too, feel there was any great emotional climax to the movie. 
Um, I think when I was young, I was like heartbroken when the, what's his pickle with the red beard died, and when he swords the guy in the face and it breaks off part oh, of the skull. Oh yeah, mask. but, but yeah. when you're young, stuff, I feel like I was really emotionally you're, involved. You're emotionally involved in all that shit in right. any movie, right? Um, but I, there wasn't the thing that makes it co- carry over into adulthood that you know. Uh, well, yeah, but Empire I mean, Strikes Back or whatever. At the same worry. time, a film doesn't need to have that like definitive moment. To, to do well I mean that's the thing I feel, it feels like but I bet it did do well financially I bet it did well in the moment I bet it just didn't hang on in popular consciousness yeah, because it, it, it didn't it, have any of those strong uh, I, I, iconic scenes I, I happen to know that it didn't do incredibly well mm-hmm. it made its money back but only like after a few years on video <laughs> and I think that may be the main thing is like it just didn't make enough of an impression to get the weight behind it to push harder and but I feel like to some extent it? I mean it was gorgeous and the effects were like we were saying unprecedented the, the characters were really super memorable even if their names were terribly yeah. <laughs> conceived yeah. I, I can't think of a scene like after watching the movie right now I don't know if there's a well, there are a couple, but they're not the big ones. I, I think the scenes that stick with me are the crow cage. What's it, fighting the two-headed monster wasn't doesn't stick with you? I thought it incredibly stuck with me. It, it but was, like I said, I thought it was part of the big cli- the last climax. When in fact it was the second to last climax. Right. That, that's what I remembered actually, kind of being the climax of the movie. Huh. But I don't think there's any character climax or emotional climax that goes along with the action climax. I mean, I think it's a, it's in there, a lot there, of ways a there, There's no movie. crystallizing. There's no crystallizing great scene. Like, yeah. I think that's that's fair to say. Um, but there's a bunch of good scenes, and the whole thing flows pretty okay, so... Yeah, but those aren't the movies that you remember. I mean, in those same I think there's scenes Star in this Wars. movie that would just, in another movie, would be the greatest scene in the movie and be enough to make that movie memorable. I don't know. Well, why and this I think, one I think part story. of it is, like, if you get a legacy, then that stuff sort of manages to crystallize a little bit after the fact, mm-hmm. too. Like, if there had been a Willow 2 that was a solid film... It would have played on some of the stuff that was in the original, and that would have reinforced it culturally. I mean, I'm glad there wasn't, honestly. Um, <laughs> but ends, I don't, I don't think nicely. there's uh, all of the, like the emotional relationships are all. I mean, the romantic relationship between Mardigan and what's her name is hurried and yeah, uh, no, it's underdeveloped. And I'd, I'd say that's a fair. The, the friendship between Willow and Mardigan is hurried. I, th- yeah. I think a lot of the things that could build to a thing were really messy and hurried. I think they felt spread out and, and sprinkled throughout the movie. I yeah, they were spread out. It just felt like there was a lot in the movie, though. I mean, yeah. and, and that's it. So, so yeah, I agree with you, Aaron. That I, I feel like I feel like to some extent some of these things that might have in a slightly less busy script been built into something more substantial where instead like we can follow the arc of what they're doing there right. but there's not necessarily a whole lot of depth to yeah I feel, I feel like you needed two more scenes where Willow and Mardigan didn't like each other yeah. to make to make him be Harrison Ford also he should have been Harrison Ford <laughs> right, yeah. of, right. Um, because you can't just write Han Solo for Val Kilmer right <laughs> But I don't know. There was a couple that when they're both like chained behind the wagon, and he he picks up Willow and throws him on his that shoulders. Was that was, there was like, Those are good things. But by that scene, but by that, was that like time they're already friends. Of like yeah, he's, that's, that's, actually, I think that scene is like to, is works against what I'm trying to say because like minutes before that in the movie in movie time, mm-hmm. he had betrayed Willow. And minutes before that, they no, were but they had, no, had, because they have they a, very conspicuously and from, from off screen. Yeah. Oh man. 
we would have got them anyway. If but wait, what was no, no, the no. Okay, so, so what happens? Wait, is, maybe there's it, something it, in is, this. Is there, Mardigan, Mardigan like fucks off, right? And then the bad army comes back into where Will is hiding. Uh, like, oh the my island, god, he's whatever. a traitor. And, 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 and well, but no, no. It's implied. It's implied. And Will's like, oh, and 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 Martin's like, Willow, I'm sorry, because um, he talks like this in the movie, as you remember. Uh, you might be thinking of Wilbur yeah. Brimley. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where that came. From. So anyway, so so Martin says like, Willow, I'm sorry. I like the voice. And uh, the voice. Hey, what am I doing? I don't know what's going on here. Um, and Willow looks all crestfallen, and we're supposed to think, "Oh fuck!" Marty was like, "Oh, I'm gonna ride off and then tell him where Willow is." But then, but then now it's Mister Bed. Yeah. But, but then the bad guy uh, punches, I, I punches Marty and knocks him off his horse, did, and he's I like, "Ah, says, I told you we'd find them without your help, or something like that, to establish that Marty didn't yeah. love them." And that—that's the Wait, scene that needs like yeah. ten minutes that's before you realize you, you dropped that like five seconds that would have just reshaped your whole understanding. No. Of no, no, it's they say that because they're not there because he cut a deal. This is what no. my reading was. He cut a deal and said, "I'll show you where they are if you let me if you let me live." And then he shows them where Willow is, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, we didn't need you anyway." And they're no, no, they're no, well shown no, no, the deal. No, no, no. I, I think was misread it. Really I think, how it I think went you to misread me. it. I think what happened is there was anything that they said, in the movie that contradicts that interpretation? Uh, the line that you're misremembering. Yes. And that they, they, Which is what? Very, what is the he line? very clearly delivers it as something like, you know, I told you we'd find them without your help. He's being sarcastic because he needed him. His no, help, no, no, but no, he's, no, no. he's rewriting he's, history. He's, he's punching him and being like, fuck you, see? We didn't need <laughs> right. your fucking help. Right. Your help yeah. was not needed, so, so you refused to give us our help. So what, what was meant you. to actually be happening was maybe he was like mis- trying to mislead him, or he was insistent that he wasn't going to help them or whatever. Maybe, yeah. Um, I think he like, did what, what is them, and they well, found I'm, I'm anyway. 90% sure what happened there was that there was deleted scenes. It was supposed to be the moment where he thought he had betrayed us, and later we find out he hadn't. And so we had that moment of resentment, but the scenes got cut, and so they had off-screen guys say that. Yeah, so they may have just dubbed that in for the continuity, which is why um, it didn't. S- because because I mean, it's just such like just a classic grip writing thing. Yeah, to, right, right. Um, you know, guy betrayed us, but really he didn't. Um, but to have oh, guy betrayed us five seconds later. Oh, nah. <laughs> yeah, right. That was really. <laughs> I, something didn't work there, and still clinging to my interpretation a little go, you, bit. You, you I, should go back to the tape and, and yeah. check it out. Yeah, I mean, but because I remember that the guy said, I, I, "I knew we didn't need your help," but it, it just seemed like. I mean, why is he sitting there unshackled on a horse next to Oh, no, to he was him? tied up. Like, when they punched him off the horse, yeah, he, he fell down his hands. Were why isn't he dress? being dragged behind the horse I then? Because they wanted to make a time. They wanted to make a time. They were on a time budget. <laughs> all right, all right. Stuff had to happen. They were going to get back before Willow buggered off. The um, I think that was the, that was the only real, like, Plot, what felt like a plot hole to me is, is that. And I think that was just your own ineptitude as a viewer. We, a minute ago, we were agreeing that it was a ham fisted way of covering. Oh, it was ham fisted, but okay. it was ham fistedly obvious. Okay, all right. Yeah. All right. Okay, I'm, I mean, just, I'm, just I'm willing to admit I'm, I'm wrong, but there. I think that the movie led you, me to. You can down record that an path. apology after this. Oh, <laughs> on your own time. We call upon you to surrender! We are all powerful sorcerers. Give us the baby, or we'll destroy you. <laughs> Kill them!
stations, Willow. Courage, Willow. a great adventure it's I, I, at the age I'm at and I, I mean I'm just assuming it's the age I'm at and it's also I you're mean, 50 could, now right yeah I'm in the mid 50s okay, let's yeah. just say for the sake of argument and, and, and it, it's me getting older but it's also movies are changing in the way that movies do action scenes just bore me to fucking tears now in new movies they just oh, almost yeah. almost inevitably or just like as, as soon as the big knockdown drag out yeah. climactic battle happens the, the I just am so ready to go to fucking, uh, fucking go to sleep I'm just the robot yeah or just like it's just a bunch of people pulling the triggers on AK-47s and a bunch of people falling over with squibs exploding and it's just so fucking boring and you're like this Christopher movie, Nolan just shut up all the action scenes in this were interesting and they were varied and they would switch like the locality of it or they'd be fighting in this new different way or something uh, they didn't linger on any one type of thing and um um, none of them went on, like, dragged on, I thought. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's surprising I that it still, it still doesn't bore me because, you know, it's an older movie, and I just I thought um, I was going to be bored by it the way I'm bored by modern action scenes. Uh, is uh, movement through a great set piece as being this, the central thing? Um, yeah. Yeah, and an action piece. Yeah, I mean, basically using an action piece as an excuse to really show off a set, mm. um, which is a thing that I think is... I mean, coming back a lot with um, the way that CG is working, I, mean, I think often an action piece will now be a way to show off a CG. No, I think it should. I don't think it ever is. You know what I think is happening is that video games are picking up the torch on that in a big way, where it's so much fun in a video game to explore this beautifully rendered set and also like have a fight with a bunch of guys in a bunch of different like power relationships depending on how high you are or what the cover is like and stuff and the fighting and the exploring can kind of go hand in hand yeah, I know I mean but it doesn't seem to happen in movies as much I, I, I never agree. play those those video games well like uncharted I was the one I was thinking right. of right I you actually did, did when I I was at your house um, mm-hmm. but I mean I just play Dungeon Crawl. <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> but I mean, like, popular games like, you know, Call of Duty and stuff are doing this type of, like, it's the, wor- the world exploring and the fighting are hand in yeah. hand, the way you're saying the, in the, the movie. The movement through a set piece. Yeah. And, and I think that the, uh, since Christopher Nolan has defined what an action scene in a movie is going to be, it's just a bunch of pictures of fists. <laughs> So yeah, I think that probably is part of why it was interesting in this movie is because they were like explorations of interiors of great sets. And the pieces weren't overly frenetic and the sets were practical and and both of those together I think, yeah, make it so you get a sense of the space. And none of them were like 35 minutes long. Well, yeah, that was was also nice. There was nothing. There was nothing particularly turgid about any of the action. All right, and uh, but they were there. also not. There was never too long between them either. I thought it was just, and and, and the transitions in and out of them were nice too. I think. I, I, it's a I think nice that, piece that of, might be a good way to sort of sum it up, both as its sort of strength and its weakness as a film. Is it feels like we've said a couple times. It feels like in in many ways it's a film that is pieces of several other familiar stories mm. and even several other familiar. Films of which are George Lucas films, mm-hmm. um, it's it's got that sort of piecing together from multiple sources, uh, and it feels almost like it feels like a really good sort of like thesis statement on the state of hmm. adventure film to date in nineteen eighty eight. Like you know, it's a really good summation of 
the pieces of various films in that sort of territory and the construction of those and it's very well constructed and it feels very competently done mm-hmm. um, while maybe lacking as you said Aaron the the really big standout moments that were just fucking blockbuster yeah. things that everybody talks about 20 years later the, the standout moments are the kind of through lines that lead to a climax yeah um, yeah, I, I can see that, and I can see how it's kind of just a... It's nothing more than the pastiche that it kind of inspired it. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily stick the landing uh, right. very often, despite right. having... Like, there's movies. no one thing you can point at and say, like, no other movie ever did that. Yeah. Um, no other movie quite assembled them identically the same way, but there's, you know, it's 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 still, like... But it's... Some it, of it it's it, just is, yeah. is exactly the sum of its parts. Yeah, it, it, it may be somewhat weakened by its sort of familiar... Mm-hmm. Uh, competence. So I, I, I can believe that as an explanation of why it's not like doesn't have the legacy that it almost seems like otherwise it would deserve. So yeah, it's, yeah. I can buy that. I like that. That works for me. All right. Yeah. So go see Leprechaun in the Hood. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Warren gave us his finest. <laughs> <laughs> On the next show, I'm going to be joined by John. Again, you remember John from episode number one, uh, Prometheus. I got John here, and we're going to have a chat about the next movie we want to talk about. That should be the next episode. Hi, John. Hey, Jesse. How are you? Good. We we went through a couple different ideas um, and finally settled on American Werewolf in London. We did. Tell me about the first time you saw that. Um, maybe about five or six. I was pretty young, too, but I don't think that young. Well, the movie came out in 1981, right? And I think it was the first movie that ever really traumatized me. <laughs> was that what made you suggest it? Well, yes, and also I love that movie. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a pretty beloved movie to me, and one I haven't seen in a long time, probably a decade. My memory of it's pretty good, considering, especially considering how long it's been since I've seen it. I I, I can still completely recall to mind the super visceral transformation sequences mm-hmm. or i think the one especially you yeah, you you have a real fondness for that type of practical effect i think especially there were a lot of things that were done really well with that movie it's one of the first movies i think i saw where the bad guy could be anybody around you do you know what i mean and 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 the movie that really got under my skin more than any other in my life was invasion of the body snatchers which i've mentioned to you before and a big a core component of that too is that it it's the the bad guy's not like I mean it's not like the mummy or Frankenstein or or something where it, that's just who it is the, a werewolf or or a, uh, a an alien you know clone of a human could be anybody it could be your mom is secretly one or or people you know and I think that's a 
that's a that's an aspect of a of a movie monster that that makes it really a lot scarier to me. I mean that that's what fueled the Terminator films, also. Yeah, but with American Werewolf in London, it was kind of explained in the title. Mm-hmm. Like you knew who the werewolf was going to be. It was going to be the American guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no there's no kind of twist or surprise within the wor- world of the movie, but in in the in the world of you're creating your own nightmare <laughs> after you see the movie that that can be an especially effective aspect of it absolutely one of my first magazines that i ever got into is uh, fangoria magazine mm-hmm. and the reason they got my attention is because they had a picture of the guy transforming into the werewolf on the cover mm. but yeah we we grew up exposed to um everything had to be done using foam latex and appliances and you had to simulate the gore with real gory stuff. Mm-hmm. You had to make a mess. Yeah. Well, great. If you haven't seen it or haven't seen it recently, I will have collected all the different ways that you can watch An American Werewolf in London. Using the power of the internet, you can just visit us at inthecut.org, and the links will be right there for you. Thanks, John. I'm looking forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, Jesse. I'll see you then. Great. Bye. Bye.